Have you ever come across a person in your lifetime that you met that just amazes you? Someone who has overcome unlimited obstacles against all odds. A person who has endurance and tenacity like none other. The world throws them lemons to knock them off course, and the next thing you know, they have erected a lemonade factory. Or maybe it's someone who has been in a devastating accident, and now they live with missing limbs. And the next time you see them, they are pushing their way through the ribbon of a half or even full marathon race. Or maybe it's someone who you now watch playing basketball in a wheelchair or participating in an Ironman contest who years before had really done nothing with their life of any substance until this accident happened. All are people who didn't give up. They had true grit. Against all odds, they decided to make the best of the hand that was dealt to them and made something extraordinary great out of it. Were there times of desperate hopelessness? Of course there were. Did they want to give up? I'm sure they did, just like the rest of us. Were there times of questioning their disability and thoughts of joining any other person who was struggling and just throw in the towel? Absolutely, and rightfully so. All of us are given the choice every single day of our lives to get grit or quit. Dig in with both heels and stand your ground or throw in the towel and raise the white flag and say, I'm done. I'm reminded of the great communicator, Nick Wojcik, founder of Life Without Limbs Ministry. He has overcome life struggles without any limbs, not only having one or two, but none. Nick has found his hope and strength in Jesus Christ for his deficiencies. He looks for God to make up for what he doesn't have. Nick wasn't always a motivated speaker who shared hope and encouragement around the world. No, once at the age of eight, he shares a story at trying to commit suicide at such a young age due to his life setbacks. Filled with loneliness and depression, he too questioned, why me? Why do I have to be the person without any arms or legs? But with pure determination and trusting in his heavenly father, he has taken something that would leave most of us lying in a bed, expecting someone to carry us around, to where he now travels the world sharing what God can do in something great in and through you, no matter what has been done or even how you were created. I once heard him speak where he talks of his belief in not discounting God for an amazing blessing that ever would hold him back of walking someday. He simply has a torso and a head, and that's it. But he laughed as he shared this that he is not sitting back, not expecting God to do a miracle in his life. No, he has a pair of shoes in his closet, watching, praying, and believing that God would yet give him legs and feet that someday he would be able to wear those pair of shoes on his actual feet. Now, that is faith. What are the greatest odds that stare you in the face today? What keeps you from becoming all that God has called you to be? What keeps you from fulfilling your destiny? All are great questions to ask, but do we stop there? Most of us, unfortunately, do. We hear the question and say what that deficiency may be and then shrug our shoulders and move on like it will never happen. Live with it and forget it. Like a simple thought that came in and then went out. Never stopping for a moment to think, what could I be missing? What if there were more? What if I could conquer this thing? whatever this thing may be, and really take a long, hard look at all that I could accomplish. Think about if Nick would have believed the lies that the enemy had told him and that he could never do anything because he had no limbs. 
Think of all the lost souls that he would have missed, all the help that would be gone unused by his lack of determination. God had a great plan for his life, a race, so to speak. Yes, a race to run, even without arms and legs. There comes a point in all of our lives of whether we push ahead or bear down and move forward, or will we simply fold up and let the odds win against us and be done? Regardless, if you are a self-motivator or not, there's a great passage that we can find in the Bible that can inspire each and every one of us to keep keeping on. It's found in Hebrews 12. I love how the writer captures the life of those who have gone on before us in chapter 11, which is often referred to to the Hall of Faith the spiritual giants. But even better, it captures the life of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I have just read about enough self-help books for a lifetime. Honestly, maybe it comes with age, but the only one I really want to listen to anymore is Jesus. I appreciate all the writers and motivators. I'm one myself, but when it comes to getting it right, I want to go straight to the top. I don't want anyone else's opinion anymore. I want to know how Jesus did it, period. We can find that here in Hebrews 12. Let me read a few verses for you. It is such an encouraging passage. Remember, this is after the writing of the Hall of Faith chapter, all of the Bible's greats. It says this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Do you see what this means? All of these pioneers who blazed the way? Now, just for a second, let me stop there so I can just say this. I love when someone blazes a trail for me to pass through, who has gone on ahead and really knows how to do it successfully. It makes life so much easier, doesn't it? But then it goes on to say, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better strip down, start running, and never quit. Right there it is in the Bible, never quit. Have you ever seen a runner on the streets that are barely wearing anything? They wear enough to keep themselves decent and nothing more. That's because they want nothing of a hindrance, nothing holding them back, nothing binding them or getting in their way. They want to run like the wind and be as light as a feather while doing it. Now, for those of us who hate running and only look at these athletes with admiration and a touch of jealousy, don't think you are out of the race yet either. Let me keep going on and read a little more. It says, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. That means get rid of the extras. Most generally, all of us could stand to lose a few pounds. And not only that, skinny fat really is a true way of life. You may be small in size, but that doesn't mean you're healthy or without damage going on in your body. Think more beyond your body and think about your society as a whole. We all could shed a lot of weight and fat when it comes to our finances. I remember when the economy tanked a couple years ago and One of my colleagues said, who I might add was not a believer, it was time to trim the fat from our country. Well, that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was so true. Excess is not good. Surplus in most categories of our life is unhealthy. Whether that be food, finances, laying around, playing too much, or even working too many hours, all are unhealthy. Along with no spiritual fat, it says don't have parasitic sins. What in the world is that? Well, I'm no science teacher, but I did have parasites in my belly one time, which most of us do and learn very quickly that we don't want them, nor do we want them to help reproduce in any way, shape, or form. It was a time when I was very sick and the doctor said I needed to rid my stomach of these parasites. 
So you know what I had to do? I had to stop feeding them. I couldn't give them any nutrition. Well, guess what they love? They love the same thing we do, sugar. And not only sugar, but the wheat that turns into sugar. Yes, I had to rid my body from wheat and sugar for 40 days, a 40-day fast. Let me tell you, I began to know what Jesus must have felt like after his fasting experience. As America, nearly every label reads wheat or sugar, if not both. But the key to killing them was to starve them. Well, the same goes with our sinful ways. It's best to confess and rid ourselves of them. How are you feeding your sinful nature? Is it through what you watch, what you listen to, who you listen to, what you compare yourself to? Do you find yourself sneaking around so no one will ever know? All of those are what feeds our parasitic sins. They may not be seen to the human eye, and you may have everyone else buffaloed, but God knows, and honestly, so does the enemy. As long as you keep doing what you're doing, it keeps growing and growing. Just like I totally could have cheated on my fast from sugar and wheat and could have told the doctor nothing different. But sooner or later, my sickness would have grown and my lie would have come out and I only would have hurt myself. It's up to you to confess with your own mouth and believe that Jesus himself can cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, let's get back to that Bible, back to what it looks like to run and live like Jesus. It says, reading again out of the Message Bible in Hebrews 12, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we are in. That verse alone gives me hope. Knowing that Jesus went ahead of us and blazed the trail of the way we are to live the victorious lifestyle that he wants us to have. I don't know about you, but I rarely will listen to anyone who doesn't know the first thing about what I'm going through when I'm struggling with a particular problem. If you haven't gone through it, you aren't the one who I want giving me advice. So when we do need some good advice, the Hebrew writer tells us what to do. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus and study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, the crown of thorns, whatever it took, he persisted. That means that Jesus endured. He kept on going, no matter if it was straight for the cross. His tenacity was to finish strong. And it's captured right here at the end of this verse. Because it says, and now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. Wow, I don't know about you, but that's where I want to end up too. Don't you? I know some of you are bone tired. You're even too tired to lift the white flag if you wanted to. You'd rather just lay down and die. Well, there's also a verse for you as well. It says, when you're finding yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, and that will shoot some adrenaline into your souls. That's it. Yes, that's really in the Bible, friends. I love how real it gets. It made me laugh when writing this show, how God prepared this lesson all those years ago for me to give it to all of you. Well, something else my doctor told me while I was sick and trying to rid myself of those parasites was that my adrenal glands were shot, meaning they were spent, empty, gone, kaput. I needed a big shot of adrenaline. I'm guessing there are some of you who do too. Well, this last verse tells us what to do. 
Go back and take stock in the life of Christ. Don't just remember the Easter story and be glad you weren't a part of that era. But truly think and read through the life that Christ had to live in and day out on our behalf. If anyone ever really struggles with what Jesus' life must have been like while he walked the earth, go back, watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, to see just how real the beatings were, how they spit on him, kicked him, speared him, hung him, and yet he never gave up. Jesus was misunderstood at the highest level. He was mocked and ridiculed. When was the last time you were, and especially at the town square, or even at church. Not very many of us can say we have been. Yes, we've encountered some infractions in our lifetime, but not to the extent of what Jesus went through. It continues on in Hebrews 12, 4. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you, to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. God is calling us to something greater. I know those words are tough to read, but even tougher to teach. But if we are ever going to be spiritual giants in this lifetime, we must buck up and get busy and shrug off what hinders us and keeps us running for cover. God is training us for the highest level. Remember, kindergarten tests are not the same as your senior paper. As you progress or advance, the tests get harder, the studying takes longer, and your time to slough off is over. When's the last time you pulled an all-nighter in prayer for your family, your marriage, or even for your church? We wouldn't think twice about staying up all hours of the night to pass an exam. But when have you stayed up past midnight pleading for the Lord to intercede on behalf of our loved ones, even for ourselves? We often say a quick few words as our eyes are closing for the evening and call it good. That is not a spiritual discipline that will get us very far. Why is it? We will go to great lengths to get up at 3 a.m. on Black Friday for the latest toy after we've spent an exhausting week cooking and cleaning for the family we really don't even like or get along with. But yet we won't take the time to sit down and talk out our problem that could be destroying our own family. All are spiritual disciplines that set us apart from the victim to the victor. I recently heard about a local spiritual giant in our own community who led a very victorious life in Christ. I asked someone from his congregation, what makes him such a mighty man of God? Her response blew me out of the water. She said, he's not only a pastor, he holds down a full-time job. I said, what? How does he hear from God in such a mighty way and live out this amazing life of full capacity? Her response was telling. She said he spends five hours every day with the Lord before he goes to work. He had made his schedule that he got up and spent time with the Lord in the wee hours of the morning, and then it was there that he went off to work. He had trimmed off all the spiritual fat, the unnecessaries of this world, and found great victory in time with Jesus. Some of us need to get out of bed and down on our knees, and our lives would turn around immediately. Somewhere along the way, we have found that more excess is better. It's not. Show me anyone living in excess of any area of their life other than with Jesus, and I will show you someone who is way out of balance. God says to keep your body, mind, and spirit lean, lean as can be. When we fill it with the junk of the world that may even seem important, God says otherwise. 
He wants us throwing off any kind of hindrance whatsoever that we can live fully for him. Hebrews 12 is a great collection of verses that motivates us to throw off anything and everything that gets in our way of living the life that Christ died to give us. So what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? With a world of choices and never running out of options, how do we keep the slim line Christian life that the apostle talks about here? First and foremost, I think it's our duty to do this as Christians. Jesus many times asks his disciples, how much did they love him? Or are you sure you really want to follow me? Questioning, are you sure? I want you to really take stock in this decision to follow me because this is no afternoon leisurely run in the park. This is an all-out marathon for the rest of your life. As a duty to our Christian life, there are two parts to this way of living and how we can be victorious at every level. Number one, it's preparatory. We have to prepare for the race. Just like any great athlete, the race is the last part of the task. They prepare, prepare, prepare for hours, days, months, and even years for one race. Number two, they don't just wake up one day and decide they're going to go to the Olympics. No, they live, eat, breathe, sometimes for a 10-second race that has taken an entire lifetime to simply stand in a block to even get the ability to do so. So think about it. What is it that you need to do? What do you need to clean out of your life? What do you need to get rid of yourself so that you can make yourself the best that you can be? Is it a job? a friend, a habit, or even a sin. It could be as simple as something you do on a daily basis, but don't realize the ramifications that it's having on your life. If you were to take a necessity inventory of your life, what would or could you do without? This is going to take some real honesty on your part, but it's something worth doing. Think of it this way. If you were asked to evacuate your home due to a fire that was coming and you could not use your car or any vehicle, but we're allowed to take the essentials, what would you grab? Would it be your 34 pair of shoes? How about all your media and gaming devices? How about your fine china? Would you leave behind anything that would weigh you down? Or would you overload your back and only get a few hundred feet before you collapsed by the weight of your own world that you thought was so important? To prepare is to measure and weigh out what is necessary and what is not. These verses talk about every weight. Don't miss a one. That also includes any concern for the body and anything in your present life and world. I love what one commentator said about throwing off such weight. It is the same of having a fondness for it. Consider it dead weight. So here's an even better question. What are you fond of? Wow, now that changes things up a bit. Not quite so general. Think about what you love to do, have to do, or you get to do. What captures your heart that is not of the Lord? Not that it's wrong to have passions or desires, but are they something that is weighing you down? Is it dead weight where your soul is concerned? Does it pull you back when you want to push forward? What catches your eye or your heart and tries to fill it up comes empty every single time? Is it a duty that you've placed upon yourself? Something that you have made a priority in your life when God never intended for it to be? Here's another question to ponder. What has a great advantage over you? Now, this may be a little bit harder to answer for some. Others, not so much. 
So I want to help anyone who might be struggling here. Could it be loneliness, fear of rejection, or not being enough? What gets the upper hand on you, especially when things are not going so well? When you are hungry and tired, maybe even angry, what grabs you hook, line, and sinker and snares you when you least expect it? For some, it may be very obvious. For others, again, not so much. I really want you to be honest with yourself and think about the one thing that God continually brings you back to and somehow you find yourself going around that same dumb mountain again and again. It's up to us to lay aside all internal and external hindrances that sooner or later wreak havoc in our lives when they are all left alone. Finally, we will learn how to run this race called life so it can be persistent. I didn't say perfect. I don't want anyone to be confused or even overburdened to an already stress-filled life. This is how the life of Christians should be lived out on a daily basis, with persistence. Yes, it means to run with patience, to run the race of service and of sufferings with both active and passive obedience. Remember, this is a predetermined race that God has set out before you, something he designed with his own two hands and has fixed in front of you for you to complete. Yes, there will be difficulties that lie along the way. And with those, he is creating great perseverance. This is all fashioned by design to perfect you at every level. This is why we can say that patience is a virtue. It's an amazing character quality to have. But as you all know, it does not come without great adversity. You see, God is cultivating a beautiful story right before your eyes that we simply have to walk out on a daily basis. I'm not going to be a Pollyanna and call cancer a beautiful story or child abuse or tragedy that dawns our doors. But I will say that God will take any mess and make it a beautiful message. I've been around long enough to know and to have heard the horror stories made into the most encouraging and inspiring stories that makes me realize that, yes, I can go one more day. That there is hope in someone so much greater than all that tries to trip us up along the way. Friends, God is the author and rewarder of our faith. There is never any question of that, but it's up to you on which lane you are going to run. Here's the thing. If Jesus could run the race set before him, which included enduring the cross, despised and shame, and ultimately killed for those who hated him while he was choosing to save them, wouldn't it be in our best interest to consider that we lace up the same track shoes that Jesus did and run and follow suit. Remember, he did all this while with great patience and resolve. He knew when he left the golden streets of heaven and dirtied his feet down here on the streets of earth that he was going to see the task at hand to the end, no matter how bad things got. Jesus had the resolve to save the world with great humility and kindness, no matter how he was treated. Let me add that he was not affected by the sinful nature of this world either. He too asked if this cup could be removed from him, meaning, God, please don't make me do this. He too was worn out physically, mentally, and spiritually. He was ready to give up, but he knew he couldn't. He had his eye on the prize, the great prize, not a trinket given by man, but of the greatest reward that anyone could ever receive, the crown of glory, the honor to sit next to his father on the throne. So I want to pose one final question before we go. 
Who or what are you running your race for? Is it for the plastic beads of this world that someone may throw your way? Or are they the lasting value? A reward that maybe no one would ever see down here. But when you enter the pearly gates and you know you have come to the end of your race, you are crowned with the crown of glory, one that you will gladly take, but one that you would rather lay at the feet of Jesus. I know for myself, I've realized the greatest thing to do as I round the last few laps of my life is to stretch out my stride while keeping my eyes on Jesus, looking to him and him alone for the finish line. Realizing with each step forward, I'm just one day closer to seeing him, not from afar, but as the one who stands at the finish line and waves the flag stating, you have won your race. You are finally done. You have reached your eternal glory called home and that you too will be talked about in the hall of faith. Run for Jesus, friends. You'll never be sorry you did.